0: In this episode of the Exploring Information Security Podcast, what is malware analysis? Part one. Welcome to the Exploring Information Security Podcast, where you will learn, explore, and grow your security mindset. I am your host, Timothy D. Block, and in this episode, we will be exploring what is malware analysis? Joining me today to help answer this question is Daniel Ebbett, a malware analyst, analyst at a fortune 500 company Daniel how are you
1: hi Tim I'm doing just great thank you it's a pleasure to be here thank you for having me
0: you're welcome um, <laughs> so let's start with with the uh, with probably one of the hardest questions what is malware
1: oh man this is a good question I've been I've been thinking about this one because you warned me this one was coming well, first of all I'd like to say I love the podcast obviously <laughs> Um, so, what is what is malware? That is that is a pretty good question. Malware is very general to me, at least. It is, I guess, at it, its at its most, it's the it, the most core of the concept is it's software that is designed to screw you over, to take advantage of you, to you know put you on the back foot. It could be to cause it could be to cause destruction. It could be to mess with your files or break your computer or brick your device. Or it could be designed to sit there in the background and steal credentials and log your keystrokes and somehow uh, give an attacker an advantage over you or your company. That's pretty much what it is. It's uh, it, it it's not good stuff. That's all I can say.
0: Right. Well, and it, it's also short for malicious software. So I would say that. that. I mean, again, said-
1: exactly. I mean, malicious software is exactly as you said. It's it's very general, but it's also very sort of self-descriptive you could, I mean, you could say that malware is a matter of opinion. You know, some people think that, uh, that the, the software that uh, reports telemetry about the software that you use, the legitimate software that you use back to the company could be considered malware, which is a little bit scary. But uh, yeah, in general, malware viruses, it's designed to cause destruction, designed, designed to wipe files out, designed to uh, report information that you want to keep secret to attackers. Um,
0: yeah. So what are some examples of malware. So you so already said viruses, what, there also, the virus is, what yeah, else? There are lots of
1: different kinds. There are lots of different kinds. Um I'm trying to think back through the history of, of interesting malware samples um in the past we used to see uh, well I guess we still see a lot a lot of samples like this but we used to see things like worms that would spread through emails and I'm sure you, you remember the uh the the worm like behavior of the uh, I'm trying to remember now
0: WannaCry? Um, that's a pretty recent example.
1: <laughs> that's a pretty recent example. I was trying to go back a little bit, but yeah, sure. We'll, we can talk about WannaCry. We can talk about the elephant in the in the room recently. <laughs>
0: um,
1: the malware that's been spreading through the SMB exploits. Um, so WannaCry is is a, is a ransomware sample. It's it's kind of an interesting sample um, in that it, it it encrypts files on people's machines, but it also has a worm-like ability to spread through uh, a recently patched exploit um, in SMB. In recent versions of Windows, uh, but interestingly, I don't think Windows 10 was affected by the SMB exploit. But it would still encrypt your files if you ran the sample. Yeah.
0: Did you uh, Did you get your hands on a WannaCry sample?
1: I did. I did get my hands on a WannaCry sample. Um, it was exciting to play with. Luckily, I managed to not detonate it in uh, my corporate environment. But yes, I got. To play with the sample. <laughs> And that's what my job is, right? I get to I get to find these samples, and I get to play with them. And the reason that I get to play with them is because I want to find out what's distinctive about these samples. I want to find out uh, what is interesting about the software, what separates it from other software, uh, for the purposes of detecting it. If I can figure out what is special about a piece of software, maybe it maybe it uh, makes some interesting network calls. Maybe it uh, makes specific system calls that I could detect. Uh, if I can fingerprint it, essentially, then I can. Create IOCs, indicators of compromise. I can create. I can create ways to find this sample running uh, on computers, which is very useful. Um, antivirus isn't perfect, but that's kind of what antivirus is designed to do, right? It's, uh, it collects up signatures and collects up behavioural information and watches for it on a computer, uh, deleting files as necessary or stopping processes if it finds something that's suspicious. Um, but you mentioned WannaCry. When uh, when samples are, pr- are very new antivirus is not going to help you very much because it doesn't know about it. It doesn't have a signature created yet.
0: So w- what are you looking for usually when you're doing malware analysis?
1: So as I said, what I'm most interested in in a, a corporate malware analysis type setting is I'm interested in discovering ways that I can detect these, these malware samples running on endpoints on computers. Um, like I said, new malware is, new novel malware is, is difficult to detect. It usually bypasses AV, uh, and you know, you wait a week, and antivirus will start picking it up. Sure, but manual analysis steps in where automated detection techniques fail us, or when, like I said, samples are too new to perhaps be detected. And there, there are there are newer uh, detection techniques. There are companies who purport to do things like heuristic detection or machine learning type techniques to separate good from bad at runtime without using um, without using signatures. So, just looking at what software does. Trying to make a decision an automated decision on whether it is good or bad. For example, uh, a way that, uh, let's see, I'm, I'm, I'm making stuff up here, but an interesting way that you might be able to detect ransomware, for example, is you could look at processes um, that are trying to, that are reading a lot of files off disk, maybe changing the first parts of the file or maybe changing the whole file and then writing it back to disk or mass file renames, mass file writes, mass file deletions, things like that. There's suspicious behaviors that you could automatically discover. and There's some software that tries to do that, Um, and it has to varying degrees of success. (laughs) I'm sure great degrees of success if you were to ask the people who own the companies that make this software. But there is definitely still a place for manual analysis, which is why people like me have a job, which
0: I think is pretty good. (laughs) Right. So so are you looking for like any IPs or callbacks, things like no, that?
1: So the specific things that I would look for, I would look for basic things like telltale file names, even just names of files that get dropped on disk by a sample, perhaps hashes of those files that get dropped on disk by a sample. Of course, hashes and fingerprints of the files themselves, of the, of the involved samples, although file hashes are very easy to change. Sometimes the sample can change its hash very easily, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I'm absolutely looking for network indicators like IP addresses that it contacts, that a sample might try to contact, domains, URLs that, are, that it might try to contact, interesting HTTP gets or HTTP posts that a sample might try to make, um, things of that nature, things that we can detect on mass from machines across an enterprise in order to build detections for them. So that's how I get a lot of my samples too. We see strange behavior, we manually identify strange behavior um, on, a, on a particular machine, and then maybe I'll take a sample of, of the program, of the executable that's making that's causing the strange behavior. And if, it, if we can determine that it is malware, it will be able to make these signatures and watch for these strange domains that get contacted, or watch for these strange IPs that get contacted, or watch for these strange files that get dropped, these distinctive things. Um, in some cases, you can even fingerprint software based on the system calls that it makes that um, there's pretty unlimited detail that you could go into.
0: So where else can you get your samples? You've already talked about internal, like if you have a computer that gets it, obviously you have, that's a great candidate to pull a sample from there. But where else would you pull samples?
1: So it, where you pull samples from very much depends on your goals. But there are many things that you could do. For example, if you have an expensive subscription, you can download things straight from VirusTotal. Which is one way of finding interesting things to to analyze. Although stuff on VirusTotal is obviously on VirusTotal, so it's already been analyzed to a certain extent. Um, other things you can do if you want to acquire novel samples is you can just go to shady websites. You can you
0: can hit up all,
1: <laughs> you can hit up all the Russian forums and download all the attachments that people have put on their on their VBulletin posts and things like that. Um, another thing that is reasonably common, even in the in even in, in In the industry is to set up honeypots, that are systems on the internet that uh, that have purposeful vulnerabilities so that you can collect interesting samples. For example, you might even just put a machine on the internet that has open FTP and see what people upload to it, or see what gets automatically uploaded to it. Or you could put a machine on the internet with this recent uh, SMB exploit and see if anybody tries to infect it with double Pulsar and drop binaries on it. And Of course, you can because you, you control this box and you know that it's going to be connected to and sh- people are going to do shady things with it, you can record everything that happens on it. So you have to design these honeypots very carefully, but there are various open source projects that make that a little bit easier too. Um, so yeah, a honeypot is, is a little bit of a scary way to collect samples. You know, the safety is very much off, but if you know what you're doing, um, it can be an interesting way to get new stuff, fresh stuff, stuff that isn't in antivirus, stuff that's novel, stuff that no one has seen before.
0: So, at this point, I think we should dive into kind of the environment and how you would handle a sample, because, as you mentioned, you want to be very careful with it so you don't infect your entire organization with, with ran- ransomware. So That's what? Exactly what, right. what is your environment set up for malware analysis?
1: Oh, so there are there are many parts. So I, I first I'll first talk about automated sandboxes. So an automated sandbox is an automatic way. To gain to, to run a sample and gain some telemetry from it, um, there's uh, there are various solutions, both commercial and free, um, and uh, an open source solution that I like is called Cuckoo Sandbox, uh, which is basically a setup a setup where you have a Windows VM, you prepare a Windows VM to run samples, and you uh, install Cuckoo's little Python agent on the machine, which records a bunch of telemetry. It records what system calls are made by different by by the sample that you give it. Um, it records files that are dropped on the disk. It can take screenshots. Because some sometimes malware can can cause interesting things to happen on the screen. For example, a ransom note might be displayed um, in the case of certain ransomware. Um, and so you give Cookie the sample. You give it an executable, and it'll it'll spin up this VM that you've snapshotted, and it will run the sample, and it will collect its telemetry, and then it will destroy the VM afterwards. Um, but it will keep, and it will write for you a very nice report, and it will capture all of, this inf- all of this interesting information about what the sample did. So what system calls it made, what files it dropped, what URLs it tried to access. Uh, I believe it captures the P capital, the network activity, stuff like that. And it's very configurable and I like it a lot. So automated sandboxes are nice because they can give you a quick, uh, a really quick snapshot of what the software is. Is it even malware? Sometimes you get a sample and you don't even know if it's malware. Maybe it's something legitimate. So the sandboxes are nice, but they only get you so far. The, it's only only so much can be gleaned from from running a sample and collecting automated telemetry. Um, there are many cases of, of, of malware samples that try to detect when they're running in a, a sandbox as well. Sometimes just in a virtual environment in general, and then maybe they won't do anything, or they'll quit immediately. They'll try to evade the sandbox uh, so that the analyst who's watching the report might think that it's that it's benign, when in fact it is not. <laughs> so the next step after doing the automated analysis is to manually analyze this sample, uh, for which you must prepare an environment, as you said. So the way that I do it, I can't. Everybody does it slightly differently, I think. But we can also all agree on on common features, like having a separate machine that you use to do this. Personally, I have a separate machine that's on a completely separate network with a separated internet connection that is just for malware analysis. So even if even if a sample does escape my sandbox and access my internet connection, nothing else is on my internet connection. So should be pretty safe there. So I have a machine. Um, I also have a hypervisor that's on the same network, and my my VM setup is, is sort of is evolved a little bit uh, over the the 18 months or so that I've been at this. I'm pretty new at this. I should uh, I should note, that um, my setup is essentially to have a Windows VM with one NIC that is only connected to a Linux VM that has two NICs. One of which goes to the Windows VM. The other of which goes to my workstation uh, and the internet. So, the, it, so we're sort of putting a Windows VM behind a Linux VM so that it can't directly access the internet, but I can access it. So I can inject samples if I want to. I can configure the Linux machine as a little router so that I can have the sample access the internet if necessary. So I have many layers uh, between me and and live malware, uh, which is always good. And on this Windows VM is installed all, all of the tools that I will talk about shortly. Um, but yeah, some cases. Essentially, you want to be flexible. You want to be able to to recreate different environments uh, as your needs change, as different. Sizes. For for example, I might find a sample that I know needs an active directory environment, so I could make one immediately and easily. Or I might know that a sample needs an internet connection, so I can give it one, and I can record pcap's of all of the connect all of the connections that it makes. Um, full pcap's are nice. <laughs> full telemetry is nice. Full pcap's are nice. Um. So on the Windows VM, I have a bunch of tools. And again, you ask different. You ask everybody in the industry. You ask different malware analysts. Everyone will use slightly different tools. Um, so I guess we're getting into exactly how you analyze the sample. This is <laughs>
0: well, well. And before we jump there, there is yeah. one question that's kind of yeah. burning or picking at me: is is how do you actually get the malware into the sandbox? Do you
1: Aha, so you you do have to handle, obviously, you have to handle a sample on your workstation, on your, your top level workstation at some point. And the way that I stay safe when I'm doing that is I use a Linux machine. <laughs> I don't,
0: I don't right, but Linux. I mean, maybe I'm oversimplifying a little bit, but like, do you just like put it on a USB stick? And then like if you pulled it from a machine from, you know, uh, in your environment, or do you go just click on stuff or is it both?
1: So it depends on the sample. If the sample is being hosted on the internet, it's easy to download using a using a Linux machine, for example, or indeed a Windows machine. It doesn't really matter as long as you're sure that it's not going to execute, right? Um, you can download a sample off the internet if you know it's being hosted somewhere. But if I find a sample in our corporate environment, most often, um, I would compress it and encrypt it and put it on a USB stick. And the, 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 the industry standard, the meme that you see throughout the industry is to create an encrypted zip file with the password infected. <laughs> um, a lot of automated sandbox solutions will accept a sample in that format, which is kind of interesting. Um, but encrypting and compre- compressing and encrypting a sample is a pretty safe way to move it around sensitive systems. Um, you're not going to accidentally run it in that case. To okay. Your burning question.
0: <laughs> no, 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 yeah, no. That that's that's exactly what it was. Because I've I've tried like it, one day I I tried setting up Cuckoo and it was like we had a yeah. USB stick that was already yeah. infected. So it's like, yeah. what do you? Do? I, I did what you. <laughs> yeah, do what you said. Well, we I just grabbed an extra laptop we had, put uh, Ubuntu on it, and then tried loading up Cuckoo. And you know, I I never fully got Cuck- a Cuckoo stood up. Um,
1: Cuckoo can be a little fiddly to set up, but the documentation uh-huh. is pretty good. I must admit
0: yeah no Did and I, could... I, I know i could have so i spent a day on this and you know yeah. i have other responsibilities other roles right, and right, it's right. like i can't spend like a week on this i know i could have eventually gotten it set up <laughs> but it was just like i kind of had to time box it and be like okay yeah. after this day i can't i can't spend any more time on it uh but my, my manager was was like yeah you can go play with it if you want and but you know just i, I didn't want to spend too much time on it
1: yeah and a lot of companies don't have the time with resources to spend uh at, at least if you're not a you know if, you, if you're not a. A computer security company, in particular. If you're not an antivirus company, uh, if you're not an IR company, uh, if you are a company that has lines of business and you just happen to have a security department, I don't often see a company that has specific reverse engineering um, roles, which is is kind of interesting. But big enough companies will. Um, and yeah, like you said, it takes a lot of time. Of course, once you've got your environment set up, um, then it can be very easily reused, and it saves a lot of time. Uh, Cuckoo is very nice once you have it working too. Uh, you know, once you spend some time on on it and make sure that your VM is working right and make sure that it's got the tools you want on it. And uh, for example, a, an interesting mistake that I made is that I forgot to install Office on my Cuckoo box when I uh, first set up Cuckoo and started <laughs> playing with it. And so I had I, I had these these uh, Word document samples and I was giving them to Cuckoo and it was running for three hundred seconds and <laughs> it was giving me nothing out of the reports because it didn't have any. It didn't have Office, of course. Um, so luckily. All of these things are virtual. The only thing you waste is time. You haven't ruined anything, and you still have your samples too. Um, I guess a related quest related to your question, is sample storage, which is kind of a, a, a scary thing to think about
0: mm-hmm. in some
1: in some ways. But there are there are pretty good open source projects. There's an open source project called Viper, um, which is a, a malware storage database, and sort of a little. It's also a database for for notes, for malware analysis notes. Um, I've used it a little bit, and I kind of like it, and it it essentially stores your samples encrypted in a database um, so that you can only get them out if you explicitly try to get them out. Uh, You can't run stuff by accident. Uh, Storing things in an encrypted fashion is, is a pretty good and a pretty standard practice when dealing with dangerous software. Uh, You know, people who passers by cannot do anything. If somebody happens upon your machine, which is unlikely but possible, I suppose, then they kind of accidentally run things because they don't know how to decrypt stuff, (laughs) hopefully.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you you just happen to leave your computer unlocked and they're, oh, I'm going to get him and change his background, and then they've launched malware (laughs) and released it into your environment. Yeah, that'd be very bad. So
1: when you're doing analysis, it's important to stay safe. yeah, <laughs> it would be it would be very bad. I agree with
0: you. Yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, so now, yes, let's get into some of the other tools that you recommend for our analysis.
1: So, the tools I'm, I'm going to try and I'm going to meander through my process that I take when I manually analyze a sample, and hopefully, I will try to remember to mention all of the tools that I use. It's very situational, though. So, let's think about the different kinds of samples that we get. A lot of samples that I see in in the enterprise that I that I work in are. Office documents, Office macro malware, and so there are a lot of specialized tools for for looking into and for introspecting into Word documents and Excel documents, things with macros. Right, macros are the problem with Microsoft Office. You can run Visual Basic inside of them. You can run arbitrary code. It can call to the internet. It can call. It can make underlying Windows COM calls. It can do crazy stuff. And Office is scary for that reason, and I mean, I'm sure you've seen a lot of advice on the internet for if you if you run a company is to disable forcibly disable Office macros, uh, but sometimes that's not feasible. Sometimes the business needs them, <laughs> so it can be a little bit scary. So, tools that I use when dealing with Office macros, um, there are several different formats that Microsoft has gone through has gone through through over the years. Um, the older Document formats can be basically all. All of these document formats can be can be read with with various tools. But some of the newer formats are basically just compressed archives that you could manually decompress, um, just unzipping them essentially. Um, a tool that I really like is called Office Parser. It's a little Python script, and it will show you all of the different streams within a within a document within an Office document. So it will show you any embedded fonts. It will show you all of the embedded data. It will also show you embedded OLE objects, which basically could be anything. Um, it could be a binary, it could be a picture, it could be lots of different things, and it will also export for you the any embedded macros, any embedded Visual Basic projects. And Office malware is kind of interesting because it has to be Visual Basic; it's a script. The code is there. Uh, it's not often. So, some, for example, with binary malware, you can't get the original code. You don't have access to the source code in most cases. But with Office malware, you have to have access to the source code because that's how it's run. Now, of course, often it's it's heavily obfuscated, and there are tools that that you can use to obfuscate your office macro malware, but there are also tools you can use to help deobfuscate it, and uh, this is where me manually looking at Visual Basic until the wee hours sometimes happens, and you can manually deobfuscate things. For example, uh, a tool may have intentionally convoluted a function call, and they may have split it into 10 different function calls, and reconstructed, data string, re- reconstructed strings from many different places within the macro, just to confuse a, a manual analyst, um but through a lot of staring at ridiculous code and renaming functions that have 100 character long names <laughs> and things like that you can sort of you can see what you can see what what the office macro is trying to do um, and of course you have the option of running it and examining what it does uh, and because it's an office macro again you can breakpoint it as if you as if you are you are debugging a program with for which you have the source code with a debugger, you can stop it running and look at variables. So usually they are not insoluble and they are they don't stand up to a whole lot of uh, of, of investigation, especially if you're experienced. They shouldn't pose too much uh, of a of a challenge. And I say that, and I'm a little scared to say that because sometimes they can be really complicated. Um, but I really like Office Parser. Like I said, I really like Office Parser. It, Decompresses things and, and uh, demangles things out of office documents for you to see. It emits Visual Basic code and it emits Ole um, objects, uh, leaving you with more samples to look at. So another big class of malware is PDF junk, and a lot of these, a lot of I should say, the vector for a lot of these things, especially office documents and PDFs, um, is phishing emails. We get a lot of junk into our into our inboxes, as I'm sure you do. Um, and sometimes it's PDF. And there is a really nice tool that I really, really like that I haven't dug up the, the link for. And I vaguely remember it being hard to find called PDF Stream Dumper, which I really like. It is a Windows application, it is a GUI application. Um, it is a little bit gross to use. Uh, but I haven't found a PDF that it can't read yet, which is kind of cool. A lot of the time, with these little tools that you find on GitHub that will help you introspect Office documents or look at PDFs, Sometimes they'll work some of the time, or they'll work most of the time. But sometimes they might, if they, if you encounter a newer version of a PDF document or a newer version of a Word document or something like that, uh, these tools can't handle the formats, which is always a bit of a disappointment. But there are always other ways to do things. So PDF Stream Dumper, I really like. It will, it shows you what makes up a PDF, be it embedded fonts, be it the document itself, the the text of the document. Um, it will show you embedded JavaScript. It will show you embedded objects. It, it's really cool. So it lets you see what is inside a PDF. It lets you see if there's any embedded code in particular. Although a lot of the time I see PDFs that just have links to the internet in them, right? They entice you to click on a link.
0: And that will do it for part one. Hopefully you learned something. Feedback is welcome at timothy.dblock at gmail.com or on Twitter at Dblock. Show notes can be found at timothydblock.com forward slash E-I-S. If you enjoyed the show, share it with others and rate it on iTunes. Have a good one.